0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Father, we give thanks. We give thanks for this opportunity to recognize your greatness, your grace in Jesus to us, to dine with your son Jesus at the table. We give thanks for your word. And what it tells us about your son. The history of his church. Lord, help us to see our connection to this body. And that we too have this same message to proclaim. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives um, us communion with Christ. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Acts chapter 8, last Sunday we considered a big section, Stephen's response to the charges of blasphemy against him. And something we see in this history of the Christian church are extreme reactions. Reactions of rage toward people who have only done good, and then also extreme, the amazing love. The amazing sacrifice and devotion the people of God have to Christ. And when I read passages as we have, I, I, I keep thinking, why such rage? Why such an extreme rage? Jesus never sinned. He offered forgiveness of sins, ministered to the sick and needy, doing miracles of healing and feeding multitudes. He showed himself to be the the ultimate prophet that they should have been eagerly anticipating, giving them a, a taste of the kingdom and our ultimate redemption that we look forward to. And yet, it all resulted in a rage that cried out, crucify him. And this is the history of the church. The resurrected and ascended Lord pours out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, and through them, Jesus continues to do good, even performing miracles of healing through them. And the reaction is just as Jesus said it would be. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. A couple of weeks ago, we considered that this rage is ultimately against God because the natural man is in various states of rebellion toward God. And by natural, I mean the person that has not been born again, the person that's only operating in the flesh and not by the Spirit of God. Paul tells us, he tells us this, he tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Earlier on, the religious leaders, they didn't act upon their rage, and it's said that the reason they didn't was because of the people. There are various restraints that keep people from sinning, ultimately the hand of God, but there are cultural stigmas, governing authorities, various consequences that, that keep people from continuing down the path of rebellion I think for me as a teen it was just I I didn't want to shame my family I didn't want to disappoint my parents that was a restraint upon me in chapter four we we read and when they the religious leaders had further threatened them they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people For all were praising God for what had happened in the healing of this man who was born lame. There was a restraint because the people thought well of the apostles. But in chapter 6 we read, And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. In stirring up the people, they desire now their desire now for violence was let loose. And we saw the result of this at the end of chapter 7. And I read this and I think, isn't isn't this what the church has experienced all throughout history? Isn't this what we're experiencing right now? Christianity was once not only tolerated but thought of something positive in our society. People who disagreed, they still appreciated the the benefits of Christianity, what it brought to society. But a lot has changed in just a couple of years. And and I think persecution seems more and more possible in America. Uh, Some months ago, we even considered a pastor up in Canada, ordered to closed the doors of his church, and he refused to do so, and he preached, and he's thrown into prison. So if this is happening in the Americas, we may not be too far away. So when our government takes steps to silence and control its citizens, when people's religious convictions are ignored and they're fired when they don't comply, we should realize that something's happening. Public opinion is changing, and restraints are being removed. Recently, a friend asked me what I thought was going on with all of the craziness that we're seeing. We might have a lot of ideas, speculations about various plots and agendas, some of which may or may not be true. But what I do know is that I've never used the word evil As much as I have in the last couple of years. Think of it. God created us male and female. Image bearers who exist for his glory. Designed to flourish. And what have we seen? Just within a couple of years. A denial of this most basic aspect of his image a denial of the body that God gives to a person a rebellion at the very core of the identity which God declares in giving us bodies and instead of counseling people through their confusion our doctors the people we trust to do us no harm surgically ravage what God gives us it's evil It's evil. We live in a rapidly growing culture of death, destruction, and injustice. Yes, there have always been problems. There have always been problems, but none of us have ever seen anything close to this in our lifetimes. And the only way I can make any sense of it is to say it's evil. The only explanation is that God has removed his hand of restraint and Satan is showing himself as the father of lies. And this is not to say that God is not sovereign in control. You know, that's the bad news that that I gave, but the good news is God is sovereign. Jesus said that he would build his church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christians have suffered persecution ever since the first century. Christians in Nigeria have been dealing with this persecution for some years now, having their houses burned and being dragged out into the streets, raped and murdered, slaughtered. This is the norm throughout history, throughout the history of the church and the gates of hell have not, and they will not prevail. Why? Because God is sovereign. The early Christian theologian Tertullian famously said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He said, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is proof that we are innocent. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. Those who killed the prophets and eventually God's own son killed Stephen. And this apparently unleashed all restraints. And this is where we're at in the book of Acts. Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, was there. They laid their coats at his feet. And chapter 8 begins with the statement, and Saul approved of of his execution. So let's continue on, chapter 8, reading the rest of verse 1, and on to verse 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lament over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is God's word. Well, at the beginning of Acts, Luke gives us a kind of table of contents in verse 8 of chapter 1 where Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So far, they have been witnesses in Jerusalem. But now... By the providence of God, their witness goes to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And I say by the providence of God because this this spread of the gospel is not only what Jesus said would occur, but God often works and provides through suffering. The persecution in and of itself is evil and God uses it for the good of those spreading the gospel. It's the same idea in one of our favorite verses, Romans eight twenty eight, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The good is God's glory, and his purpose is salvation. The persecution is not good. The suffering is not good. But God is able to bring about good through the evil intentions of man. Think of Joseph. The Joseph uh, uh, Stephen mentioned in chapter 7. Joseph who was thrown into a pit and sold to slave traders by his own brothers. Joseph who was scattered, scattered away from his homeland and into a foreign land. And his wrongful imprisonment led to the blessing of egypt and the blessing of his own people and when joseph was in a position of power over his brothers instead of taking vengeance upon them he said do not fear do not fear for am i in the place of god as for you you meant it you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God is sovereign. He uses the evil intent of man to bring about the good of his salvation. And what do we see in Acts 8? Christians are scattered. They're scattered because of the evil of persecution, and they go all throughout the region where Jesus wanted them to go. And in Greek there are different words that can be translated as scattered one means dispersed so that its item the item is gone from that point on think of like like scattering ashes a person's ashes into the wind or upon the sea but the word Luke uses in verse 4 means scattered in order to plant God is the sower scattering seeds to be planted in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We need to see the sovereign hand of God in this. It's not God coming along and and trying to fix things. It's God ordaining, God working. And what man intends for evil, God intends he ordains for the good of the gospel. When we read Verse 1, we notice that the persecution scattered most of the people, but it didn't scatter the apostles. And there are a few speculations about this. Some remind us of the fear of the people concerning the apostles, all the signs and wonders that they did. Uh, Fear, think of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, So maybe they left them alone out of fear. Others think that the main persecution was really toward the Hellenistic believers. Remember, you have the Hebraic and Hellenistic uh, uh, Jews that become Christians. And Stephen and those seven were the men appointed over the, the Hellenistic believers to take care of the widows. So maybe uh, the persecution is more associated with Stephen and, and uh, why the church in Jerusalem mostly was made up of Hebrew believers, because the Hebraic believers scattered. So either way, their presence, the presence of the the, uh, believers in Jerusalem, it maintains, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem, it maintains a a Christian church there, a a gospel witness there as the gospel goes out, uh, begins to spread throughout the lands. In verse 2, we read that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And I point this out simply to say that it's okay. It's okay, it's appropriate to grieve at the death of someone. It's, it's popular, we hear it all the time, it's popular for Christians to turn a memorial service of a believer into a celebration. And I get that too. Because we know that that our loved one who belongs to Jesus is happier than they've ever been before when they're uh, in the presence of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul said that it's far better to depart and be with Christ. And so many Christians turn a memorial service into a celebration of, of this reality. And it's an amazing thought to consider, isn't it? That their reality is not only better, it's incredible. It's glorious. And that the sting of death has been defeated by the resurrection of Christ. But what we see here is godly men made great lamentation over Stephen. And so, yes, we don't grieve like unbelievers who have no real, no actual hope But we grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's appropriate to grieve. The death of a saint is precious in the eyes of the Lord, but it still breaks our hearts. And it's a godly thing to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. So I appreciate the fact that these men are described as as devout or godly men, and yet their lamentation, their grief is real. It's severe. Verses 2 and 3 give us a kind of contrast. As godly men are burying Stephen Stephen and grieving, Saul is entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. It was Paul's own testimony later on when he reminds the Galatians of his former life as Saul the persecutor, saying how he, he persecuted the church of God violently. And tried to destroy it. And because Luke's description is very brief, we're tempted to just repast it. To minimize the incredible, incredible pain and suffering that these believers felt. The word he uses in verse 3 for ravaging is a very, very strong word, meaning that it was, an, it was incredibly brutal cruel, it was sadistic. And when we see such evil, we can be certain that Satan is behind it. The evil going on in our day, it's satanic. But just as we don't grieve the death of a believer without hope, so we need to have a right perspective on Satan. Satan is real. Satan is a he's a creature. He's a creature And like all creatures, he is subject to the Lord who uses him to fulfill his good purposes. This is not some equal battle of the gods. Satan's a creature. God alone is God. Martin Luther, I love what he said. He said, the devil is God's devil. And so he doesn't operate outside of the Lord's decree. There's an important principle at work here. Calvin said, That the government of the church of Christ has been so divinely constituted from the beginning that the cross has been the way to victory. Death, the way to life. That was what Jesus meant when he said that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The principle is this. The principle is... The death of one produces life in another. Paul understood this later when he wrote to the Corinthian church saying, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The death of one produces life in another. The resurrection life of Jesus is made known in the weakness of our mortal flesh. Paul's suffering, being given over to death, is for the sake of life in another. Up until now, the the gospel has been confined to Jerusalem. But through death, through persecution, through suffering, through weakness, Jesus' words are fulfilled and gospel life is scattered. It's... Planted in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Keep in mind, this is God's perspective. This this is what we see in retrospect. It doesn't mean that the Christians in Jerusalem were saying, hey, this is good news. The persecution is wonderful. And now the gospel's going to spread all over the world. Yay! No, they're terrorized. They're suffering. They're pleading in prayer for relief and for their loved ones who fled, not knowing where or how they are. So it's only in retrospect that we can see what God has done. But in the meantime... We are witnesses to Jesus. We're supposed to tell people about him in good times and in bad. And from the video that we saw at the start of the service, Brother Andrew's words are hard to hear, but true. When he said, I think we in the West are cowards. Ah! We ought to become people of guts and courage and strong convictions And don't count our lives dear unto themselves. And if we pray something like, Lord, make us a missions-minded church, we should consider that this may involve more than our financial support to friends overseas. It may involve the changes that we see in our own country. It may involve a growing persecution where we must die to self. In order to bring life to another. Verse 4 says. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And there's something interesting about the word translated here as preaching. When you think. When you read that word. When you think of the word preaching. You think of this. What I'm doing. You tend to think of what the pastor does. But the real work of evangelism was not done by the apostles or even limited to Philip who was in a position of leadership. No, it involved all the believers who were scattered. The word Luke uses here would be better translated, they spread the good news or they gospeled or even gossiping the good news. It's not a formal preaching. It's a common sharing. And this is what we all can do. This is all what, what we're all called to do in, in your various influences and spheres of life. And so another principle we get is that we take the gospel wherever we go. Historian Kenneth Latteret said that the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession, but men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in this natural fashion so keep in mind that these early believers these early believers are fleeing for their lives and yet they didn't act like refugees they acted like missionaries which is really strange They're fleeing because of their faith. And so you'd think that they'd be fearful to speak of their faith. Talk about people of guts and courage and strong convictions. People who who didn't count their lives dear unto themselves. Not living to regain comfort, but for the sake of others. Now, I love my freedom. I I love... Are many comforts. And I hope that they continue. I hope that what we're seeing just reverses and, and it's just a blip in history. But if not, if not, I want to remember that the death of these things may be for the life of another. And that we're all called to spread the good news of Jesus taking the gospel wherever we go. And in Philip's case, Samaria was a strange place to go. You realize that? Samaria is a strange place for a Jew to go. Remember, there's a long history between Jews and Samaritans. The trouble began in the 10th century. This is a long uh, conflict between them. Go back to the 10th century BC, when 10 tribes broke away and made Samaria their capital, while two tribes remained loyal to Jerusalem. Then in 722 BC, the Assyrians capture Samaria, taking thousands into exile and repopulating the country with foreigners, Gentiles. Two centuries later, when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, they refused the help of the Samaritans in the rebuilding of the temple. By the 4th century, relationships were at an all-time low. The Samaritans had rejected the scriptures, all but the Pentateuch, and they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Then in 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted both the Jews of Judea and Samaria, and the great heroes, the Maccabees, the Maccabees, excuse me, defended Jerusalem, right, They're heroes. They're defending Jerusalem. They're willing to to suffer torture rather than surrender. While the Samaritans gave in and dedicated their temple in Gerizim to Zeus. So Samaritans were thought of as heretics, pro-Greek. And it was typical for Jewish pilgrims to make this long detour when traveling, in order to avoid them. So Philip, a Jew, leaves Jerusalem to proclaim the good news of Jesus in Samaria. He leaves the hostility of persecution and go, goes to a place where there's a long-standing hostility toward Jews. But remember, Philip was a, a Hellenistic Jew. A Diaspora Jew who would have been likely much less associated, would would not have been associated with the Hebraic Jews in Jerusalem. And because of this, in the providence of God, this may have been the the perfect believer, the perfect kind of believer to, to enter into Samaria. Being a little more acceptable in their sight. And still there would have been great division created by culture and race. Samaritans were considered worse than Gentiles, traitors, half-breeds. And yet, even in this context, the gospel is received. And another principle to keep in mind is Christianity is for the joy of all people. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that The religions of the world are generally local religions. You ever think about that? The religions of the world, the world religions are generally local religions. Confucianism, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism are basically local religions. But Christianity has claimed from the beginning that it is the one universal faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christianity is exclusive but universal at the same time. Jesus came for the whole world. He is the Savior of the world. That's the truth. But what do we hear today? We hear ignorance in describing Christianity, saying it's western and white. But the fact is, Christianity began in the small, unimportant, at the time, unimportant country of Palestine. And even before then, its roots go back to the problem of sin in the garden and God's promise to send the Savior. It goes back to God making a promise to Abraham and that he would be the father of many nations. It goes back to Jesus telling his disciples to go. And make disciples of the nations. Whatever, wherever Christianity has gone, it has brought care for the sick and needy, justice for the poor, the advancement of women and culture. Jesus showed this, remember, to the Samaritan woman. I think his disciples were a little surprised they didn't take that big detour. Traveled, I have to go to Samaria. I have this appointment with this... Woman at the well in Samaria, granting forgiveness, granting her the satisfaction that she was thirsting for all of her life. He is the living water. And he tells her that the one true faith, it's not, it's not limited to a mountain in Jerusalem or your mountain, Mount Gerizim. But that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is the truth. He's for all peoples. In Him, we know this, in Him there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Philip proclaimed Christ. And whatever history between the Jews and the Samaritans, however great the cultural divide, however strong the long-standing hatred, it didn't stop him from bringing the good news of Jesus. One undeserving sinner was his attitude. One un- undeserving sinner to another. And the same should be true of us. What divide, Speaking of division, what divides us? Not so much us, us, but our culture That's the the description you hear all the time. We are so divided, much more divided than we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Racial division is a part of our nation's history. And the only real and lasting healing is in Christ where we are one. There's a history of, of women battling for equality. And truly embracing Jesus brings honor and respect. There's a sexual divide. And though Jesus never minimized or excused sin, he was a friend. He ate and drank with prostitutes and tax collectors. And in him, and in him alone, there is forgiveness of sin. What about liberals and conservatives? The the wealthy and the homeless. Pro-vax, no-vax, pro-mask, no-mask, pro-life, pro-death. LGBTQ plus, is there anyone too far gone? Or is Christianity, is Jesus, is God's grace and forgiveness? Is it only for some? Would you, would I go into Samaritan territory and proclaim Christ? Philip's message was full of Christ. It was a message of good news. Good news that could overcome any cultural divide, break through any barrier. It's a message that we're all all sinners. And God is a God of mercy. And there's a way back to Him through faith in Jesus. Jesus. John tells us that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's good news for everyone, regardless of our background. It's, it's the news of your salvation. The news that, that we're called to share. So what's going on with our nation? Again, the word that comes to mind is evil yes people are responsible for their sins but who is the father of lies who's the great deceiver who tempted adam to sin so yes adam was responsible but satan's behind it and as a result all of human history has been filled with death corruption and suffering ever since then And when we see a culture of death, corruption, and suffering, why not call it what it is? The killing of babies has always been wrong. But look at how the restraints have been removed. Wrong as it was, people would say abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Now, people shout their abortion in celebration. That's evil. It's demonic. Or when people are, are either too confused or too intimidated to define a man or a woman. When our doctors castrate and mutilate young boys and girls. That's evil. That's demonic. Satan is real. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Even though Philip was not an apostle, he he functioned as as like an apostolic diplomat. And God, God validated this position god validated his voice by giving him the ability to do miraculous signs and wonders that was the point of of those things not everyone was was going around casting out demons but philip was and as a result it says that the people paid attention to what he had to say about jesus get their attention hadn't seen this before Okay, we're not called to start up an exorcism ministry. This is a sign given to Philip to get people's attention. So the question is, what will get people's attention today? Let's review. What principles do you see? Do we see in these uh, in this text that proclaim about proclaiming Christ? First, death in one produces life in another. We see this principle in Jesus and his death that brings us life. We see it in, in Stephen's death that brought about this scattering, a planting of life in Judea and Samaria. We see it in people dying to self in order to serve the gospel to the lost. People like Brother Andrew that we just watched. And all of church history tells us that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Are we willing to taste death for the sake of life? Secondly, we take the gospel wherever we go. We don't just scatter and hide. We take the gospel with us. It's it's the work of Christ's church, each person in their particular surrounding. When you're at home with your kids as simple as that seems. That's your mission field. Talk about Jesus. If you're sharing a lunch with a friend or coworker, ask them maybe, what do you think about Jesus? We might get a conversation started. Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. You know, even just to stand out as being Kind and thoughtful. Not that that's the gospel, but it's important. It might get people's attention if you're kind and thoughtful. Even these things have changed in the last couple of years. When you're just at restaurants or grocery store, people's interactions are different. When you're at the grocery store or filling up your car, It's probably not the right time to have a deep conversation about Jesus. You've got to respect their their time at work, right? But simple kindness or a godly blessing, that might be something that gets their attention and makes them listen to another believer, identifying you as a, a Christian. You know, a friend of mine who works retail was telling me how rare it was for anyone coming through his checkout line to simply say hello and to make eye contact with him. He said it never happens. That if you really want to stand out, he was joking with me, if you really want to stand out, just be sure to say hello and make eye contact. Maybe say thank you and have a nice day. It's amazing that this is becoming rare. Now, again... That's not the gospel. Being nice is not sharing the gospel. But if they know that you're a Christian, God can use that. It's important that we get people's attention in that way that seems so normal, but I think it's becoming rare. Your kindness might be used like Philip's healings where people pay attention or another Christian who comes along and actually shares the gospel with them, and they're more open to it. Third, Christianity is for the joy of all people, and you're not the judge. So share Jesus without discrimination. You're never more deserving than anyone else. Verse 8 gives us the result, a contrast that that Luke wants us to see. While believers are suffering under persecution in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Dying for the sake of life, their natural enemies are given the gospel. And it brings much joy, real and lasting joy, to the city. Lastly, Christ is greater than any plan of Satan. It all, it, it all goes back to the garden, doesn't it? It goes back to the garden where God sovereignly said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first hint at the gospel in scripture. And then all the rest of biblical history is what? It's the, it's the offspring of Satan and the offspring that leads to Christ and his lineage at enmity, at conflict, all throughout, all throughout the Old Testament, leading to Christ, and Satan thinks that he's victorious, crushing Jesus at the cross. But it's just a bruise to the heel. Jesus is the victor. He crushes the head of the serpent. He's the. He's victorious over sin and death. That's what this is a, a prophesying. This is what God's promise was. Right at the beginning, right when sin first occurred, Adam and Eve deserved to die on the spot. They died spiritually, but they deserved to be executed on the spot. That was what God said would be the consequences. But He showed grace, He showed mercy, He gave a promise. And in faith, they looked forward to this promise. How were were people saved in the Old Testament? Same way you are. Faith. Faith in the Messiah. They look forward, you look back. There's always been hatred and hostility between Satan and God. Between his offspring or people and the lineage that led to Christ. It's, It's not a battle of equal forces. God has his purposes, and he has said from the very beginning that, yes, Satan would be allowed to do this. He would be allowed to bruise Jesus on the cross, but Jesus has the ultimate, the final victory. He is risen. He is victorious over sin and death, and by the Holy Spirit, he is with us and promises that the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. So as weird as our world is as discouraging as it is to watch the news, this is the reality. Don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. We are what? Aliens and strangers. That's the reality. Aliens and strangers in this world. So as concerning as times are, they're really not unusual. They're really not unusual. They're not unique to the history of the church. Be concerned. But remember who's sovereign over all. Remember who is with you till the end. Remember that the ultimate answer is Christ. And all of us are called to proclaim Him. And nothing will change our world like that. If you want change. The only message that has the power to affect the the heart of man. To change, to renew our thinking, our mind. This is what we need. So as His church, what do we do? We devote our... Think back to Acts. We devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to His Word. We devote ourselves to each other and our fellowship to one another. And in love, we take the Gospel with us wherever we go for the sake of people's eternal joy in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please guard... Us from division. Help us to be engaged. Help us to be concerned over what's going on in our nation's history, the growing evil of our time. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment to speak the truth. But may our priority, our hope, our ultimate answer and confidence always be in the proclamation of Christ. May the Holy Spirit guide and help and convict us to be a light, to not be ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God to save. Give us love and compassion. Help us to be that missions-minded church that's willing to die to self for the sake of life, that takes the gospel wherever we go that understands God's grace and is confident in Christ. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.